Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, everyone. It is another episode of Zero Line. I'm Lisa Senecal, Executive Editor of Resolute Square, and I am here with, as always, the Sarah Ashton Cirillo, <laughs> apparently the newest member of the terrorist list of Russia. Congrats, Sarah. <laughs> I'm smiling for those watching it. <laughs> it's not a Grammy, but still, the it's an award, award of some the sort. The highest award, Lisa. And we're both laughing because it's so outrageous. And yet, it's true. I have been named to the list of terrorists and extremists by the Russian Federation, specifically headlined as a terrorist. We knew that there was investigation. This is so ridiculous. Knew that there was an investigation going on into me since September. Uh, so the judicious attitude of Russia surprised me. I thought it was by October I would have been named a terrorist. But it started in September, finally uh, hitting the list in February, most likely because of that trip that I took to South America, or sorry, Central America and, and uh, to Mexico, where I exposed the Russian agents and the Russian destabilization of the Western Hemisphere and the Americas. And what do you know? A few days after returning to Ukraine, they have put me on their terrorist list. If you are considered an extremist or a terrorist in opposition of Vladimir Putin, how does that put you remotely on the wrong team? Like... The people who end up on that list are some of the most highly regarded humans currently and previously on the planet because he has a tendency to disappear, folks. And, you know, they're they're either still alive or or they aren't any longer. But um, it's a pretty illustrious group that Putin wants to put on these lists. I heard from an American government official after I was put on the list who told me, a lot of great Americans are on that list, and it should be the highest honor that I've ever received. And he was not being facetious. For my work in Ukraine, I have not received more congratulations than ending up as a terrorist in the eyes of the Russian Federation. And now the question is, what more can I do? What more can I do to really get inside the minds of the Kremlin? They have a an alleged possible who, whatever you want to call Tucker Carlson running around in Moscow right now. We're going to discuss that in a moment. But for all the talk and bluster of the Kremlin, I was literally standing on Russian soil in Mexico City. And all they did was ask me to move two steps away. If they really thought I was a terrorist, then they <laughs> they need to up their security because there's six and a half minutes of me uh, talking right in front of the Russian embassy on Russian grounds. As we know, embassy is, is it belongs to the country that has it. And they didn't do a damn thing. Why? Because below it all, Vladimir Putin, Dmitry Medvedev, Peskov, and all the rest of them are simply cowards. They cowered in bunkers. 
They cower through their uh, alcoholic rages in the case of former President Medvedev. And the reality is this. Russia is crumbling from the inside. And it will not be long before we start to see the not just fraying of the Russian Federation, but a collapse of the Russian Federation. While they're busy putting 12,000 of us over the course since 2000 on this terrorist list, so it's, it's, it's not an exclusive club. It's, it's pretty amazing, but there's still 12,000 of us in 25 years uh, that been put on this list since Putin was in power. The, the reality is that's what they have to do. They try to intimidate us. And Resolute Square's audience and people like you, Lisa, Stuart Stevens, Rick Wilson, and others, Joe Trippi, understand that as long as you don't cower in the face of this faux um, bravado. You don't cower to the emperor who has no clothes. When you point out that that emperor is naked and in fact shriveled up and old with probably an enlarged prostate, which has made him really more irritable, which is Vladimir Putin I'm talking about because we, we can't even talk. Just waking him up yes, many exactly, times to pee at exactly. night that's put him in a really And when uh, yeah. Dmitry Medvedev <laughs> is too trash to even understand that he's pissing on himself, because that's what he does every time, you know, he probably writes a, a telegram or a tweet, then we have to be aware that we cannot be afraid of these clowns. They're despots. They're autocrats. It's why Resolute Square exists. It's why Lincoln Project exists, to fight back against this. But in all seriousness... When we hear concerns over escalation by the Russian Federation, it would be like being concerned of the wizard behind the curtain or the emperor with no clothes. So speaking of crumbling from the inside and being a coward, that's such a beautiful segue to talking about Tucker Carlson, who is... Currently, I I just watched a little piece of video watching him fleeing reporters and diving headfirst into a car to get away, you know, so he didn't have to answer any questions in Moscow after conducting an interview um, and giving a platform to Vladimir Putin. Tucker Carlson, something interesting happened a few hours ago. Dmitry Peskov, who I mentioned just briefly, he's the Kremlin, he's basically Putin's spokesperson. And he actually chastised Tucker Carlson for lying. Tucker Carlson was, to use the term from X, Tucker Carlson was community noted by Dmitry Peskov because Tucker Carlson said no other Western journalist, you know, wanted to interview uh, Vlad Putin. The reality is that Vlad Putin didn't allow any other journalist to interview him. And Peskov came out and basically smacked Carlson down and Carlson took it. Therefore, we do see now, and, and I referenced this in a Newsweek interview, Breitbart's run it a few times. I called Carlson the Kremlin's court eunuch. Why did I say that? It's because Carlson only does what his paymasters tell him. He has nothing there. He projects himself as an alpha male. But in reality, he is nothing but the old-time harem eunuchs that goes where he's told by his bosses, by his puppet masters, by his paymasters. And then when they smack him down, he listens. Tucker Carlson worked for MSNBC. Tucker Carlson was so liberal that he appealed to Hunter Biden 
to write a reference letter for his child to go to Georgetown. Tucker Carlson was so deep state, and maybe Tucker Carlson is still the deep state, when he applied to the CIA, he was allegedly rejected. Really? Could somebody be that much of a clown and not actually be working for, you know, it must be a character, right? So he's jumping around from left, then to center. Let's call Fox. And I hope uh, Resolute Square doesn't get too upset at me with this. Let's call Fox comparatively center-right when you have OAN out there, Newsmax, and Tucker Carlson's own media brand. So you go from MSNBC and Hunter Biden, you're trying to kiss Hunter Biden's ass. And then next thing you know, you're messaging with Alex Jones. If that's not deep state material, then Tucker Carlson really just is the most spineless eunuch that's in media today. Well, it, it is incredibly weak. I mean, right, Tucker Carlson is the type of person who, in order to try to seem powerful, and he's got this twisted, messed up definition of what it is to be masculine. So to him, it means sucking up and, you know, being able to bask in the filthy shadow of people like Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin and Roger Ailes, and, you know, so many others over the years that as long as he has some proximity of power, then he thinks that makes him powerful. But he's, and he's a joke. The The introduction that, that he put out on X yesterday, trying to, you know, pump up interest for this interview that he was doing was, you know, I, I, it's so important that, you know, journalists like myself are willing to go over and talk to people like Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Not a journalist. The man's not a journalist. And you know how we know he's not a journalist? Because when he gets sued, his defense is, I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. The courts have said nobody could seriously believe that Tucker Carlson is speaking the truth. And that is his get out of jail free card for defamation because he's such an ass clown that no one is supposed to take him seriously. Ass clown is the word of the day. I, I can't top that. And it, it, it references him perfectly. He's not a journalist. And, and this is what's very important for the audience to understand. And again, when we speak to the Resolute Square audience, we know we're speaking to intelligent people. We know we're speaking to people who value the truth. However, what we have to call on, on the people listening to this podcast, who, who listen to the, the strategy session, who look at the Resolute Square website, one of the biggest concerns that I have, and, and this popped up in Ukraine last week as well, when people confuse columnist with journalist, when, when people confuse somebody who's an opinion maker with a journalist, when you have Alex Jones, when you have Tucker Carlson, these folks are talk show hosts, yes. Uh, they, they're opinion makers, yes. But they're not journalists. They're, they're not researching stories. They're not carrying out unbiased, uh, fact-based uh, products. And this is what, even more so than the, quote, fake news. Let's push that aside for a second. When you talk about the Tucker Carlson's and the Alex Jones, and we have to talk about these two in the same breath, one's an ass clown, 
The other is Alex Jones. <laughs> so, I mean, that says it all right there. When Now that we know that they're communicating and they talk and they're hyping each other's shows, we have to talk about them together. It's not so much fake news as it is infotainment. And when you take somebody who's an infotainer and you try to understand them through the lens of journalism, that's where society begins to break apart when it comes to the fourth estate. And nobody, one reason when y'all approached me at Resolute Square over a year ago now, well over a year ago, and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to contribute, I was happy because it wasn't journalism that we were bringing. We were bringing truth. We were bringing facts. But we weren't pretending to be uh, down the middle. Because in this day and age, you have to be truthful with the audience. You have to bring them facts. And you can't pretend, most of all, to be down the middle. Tucker Carlson appearing in Moscow, cloaking himself in the veil of journalism, when he is the furthest thing from an unbiased voice, was the most despicable part of this. When we have three journalists being held either prisoner in Russia, just three American journalists, that was four, three American journalists being held either prisoner in Russia or prisoner uh, with Russian allies. So we have Austin Tice in Syria that Putin could get released. We have Evan G from the Wall Street Journal. And we have Alsu, who is from REFL. These folks are journalists and they are imprisoned because they're journalists. And for Tucker Carlson to go there to the top of that hotel, which no one else has been allowed to go to the top of that hotel in years from Western media, report there overlooking the Kremlin to call himself a journalist, he should have been struck down right there by some higher power simply for spitting Stop a lightning for spitting on the three Americans in prison in Russia right now and Syria over the fact that they actually are journalists. And that was the most disgusting aspect of, of this partial clown, ass clown show. Thank you again, word of the day, that I have witnessed thus far. For everything else, it's the insult that he gave to Evan Alsu and, and Austin Tice. I couldn't agree more that willingness to use that title of being a journalist. Now we've, we've had, you know, I, I have my differences with mainstream media in the United States in the center and on the left, as well as, you know, OAN and Fox news and Newsmax and all the wackadoos on the, on the right. But this, this idea that you need to both sides, everything and which is what Carlson attempted to say he was doing, right? So, you know, you've got this war in Ukraine and, you know, Zelensky, people talk to him all the time. But, you know, who's talking to poor Vladimir and getting his side of the genocide that the man is in the middle of inflicting on the Ukrainian people? Like, that is not journalism. You don't both sides, like, you know... Nobody needed to sit down with Hitler and get his point of view on why, you know, he thought it was reasonable to commit the Holocaust. You didn't need to sit down with Pol Pot to find out why the Khmer Rouge was doing what they're doing. You, you know, Mobutu, you, you don't need the side of the story from genocidal 
maniacs because that isn't telling a, a valid side of anything. You don't give a country that's been invaded that is having a genocide inflicted on them right now with the with the person in the country who decided for whatever their reasons are, there are no legitimate reasons. You don't need to cover that. It is so deeply wrong. It is evil to cover those two sides as though they are two reasonable perspectives that just differ with one another. Genocide is never reasonable. And Vlad Putin himself has given us the truth from his perspective. He doesn't deny launching these attacks. He doesn't deny having a desire to uh, destroy Ukraine. He's talked about it incessantly. His government ministers have spoken about it incessantly. And one thing that Vlad Putin has, and you brought up Hitler, and Vlad Putin has a tremendous PR uh, machine. They have RT, they have Sputnik, they have uh, all of their uh, internal propaganda machines. You also said something. Goebbels would be proud. I'm glad you brought up Goebbels. Tucker Carlson wants to be near these powerful men. Yet Tucker Carlson is a chief imitation of Joseph Goebbels. And Goebbels never, never achieved what he desired which was to be the Fuhrer. And so Tucker will never achieve what he desires, which is to be a real man, which is to be a real journalist, which is to be accepted into the club. I mean, anybody who applies to the CIA clearly has these ideas of, of greatness. And thank goodness the United States has the greatest CIA operatives and agents. Uh, we have the greatest uh, security forces uh, and law enforcement in the world. Tucker Carlson failed, allegedly. He, he very well could be an agent with some of his behavior, but he failed in achieving this. So what did he do? He literally is trying to destroy all that is good in this world through the destruction of the United States and the empowerment of the enemies of the United States. And that, Adam Kinzinger, uh, the former congressman and retired colonel, uh, said in an interview today, uh, he called Tucker Carlson a traitor. And that is fair. It's as factual it gets. Uh, Tucker Carlson is a traitor to the United States. They're talking about sanctioning him in the European Union. And everybody thinks that this will make him a martyr. However, we've seen this with Joseph McCarthy. We saw it with Hitler, well, or Goebbels. We've seen it with all these people. Ultimately, their shit runs dry. Alex Jones is still going because Alex Jones carved out something that's fantastical, right? Because Tucker Carlson still is trying to present himself in some sort of reputable light, he's going to run out of it much sooner and it's going to collapse on him much sooner or he's going to carry himself out of relevance. That's the good news. He's rapidly carrying himself away from relevance. Somebody tonight was, was mentioning that he's sort of at the apex of his influence. But that's a magnification that's being put out right now within this sort of zeitgeist. As soon as the election season's over, unless he gets some sort of job in, in theoretical Trump White House, which would be a massive pay cut for him and I couldn't see him taking it, 
he's going the way of Steve Bannon. He's going the way of all these other people who burnt themselves out after thinking that they were the key, when really he's just a high-priced whore jumping from MSNBC to the Daily Caller, got bought out of the Daily Caller, ran to Fox. This is a guy whose big deal was Fox and Friends. He couldn't, couldn't believe that he was getting, you know, his little morning anchor uh, time. You know, look, look at me. I'm, 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 you know, hey, Roger Ailes, you know, grab me. The reality is Roger Ailes grabbed him just to embarrass them as MSNBC. Tucker Carlson has no talent. He's a no-talent hack who's basically a eunuch. We know this because he's definitely no alpha male wearing his flannel, running around pretending to be some New Englander. And in the end, when he's done pretending to be Mr. Brawny, he's just going to be another low-rent Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, who's out there in this not only dustbin of history, but his books are going to literally be in somebody's dustbin, probably being thrown into a fireplace in New England. Yeah, you know, Tucker's whole um, attempt to be, you know, man of the people populist. Uh, it, it, Tucker Swanson Carlson, right? He comes from a tremendous fortune. And now I don't know what his relationship with his parents continued to be. I, if Tucker were my kid, you know, boy, I, I give my kids a lot, a lot of rope. But you know what his dad does now? Spends all his time avoiding being identified as Tucker Carlson's father. <laughs> his dad is a lobbyist for the Hungarian government. Oh, there you go. It doesn't fall far from the tree. And apparently his dad's comments about being a journalist after Tucker failed, allegedly, in becoming a CIA agent, was that get into journalism. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something to this effect. Get into journalism, son. They accept everybody. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> We need to talk a, a minute before we run completely over time here today about the status of the border bill, which, you know, the GOP said was absolutely critical. Something's got to be done. We've, you know, here's our wish list of everything. And so the Biden administration finally came around and said, okay, here is your wish list in bill form. And we're ready to move forward. And Mike Johnson said, the Speaker Johnson, oh, wait, we didn't actually know that you would do this. And Donald said no. So this is DOA, which also means for the moment, the funding for Ukraine sits on a shelf. From my understanding, and it could be taking place just hours from now, by the time this episode airs, which is going to be tomorrow, uh, hours from now, I believe there's going to be a standalone funding bill uh, pushed through the Senate for Indo-Pacific, Israel, and Ukraine. Uh, I believe it's going to have the votes. When I was at uh, Capitol Hill uh, in January, which I reported on uh, with the, the show with the Zero Line, I put out a, a live report. Uh, I was told that it would be a standalone bill, and sure enough, that's what it's coming to. I personally, and I'll throw this out there, I'm personally, I think the border bill was weak. I think it was faulty. And I'm glad it's being separated from the foreign aid money, because ultimately, uh, if we're not going to get one part of security through, and probably Mike Johnson's going to still attempt to stop it. And the Resolute audience uh, is, is, once again, uh, very well versed in, in, in the political realm. There's ways to at least attempt to force a vote in the House. Uh, if you can pass a bill in the Senate, 
it looks like it's going to have the 60 votes to, uh, you know, end cloture and debate. And we have to see this. So by the time this episode airs, I would like to think that a standalone funding bill for Ukraine, Israel and uh, the Indo-Pacific will have passed, if not by the end of this week. However, again, Mike Johnson, who we know he doesn't know how to count votes. We saw the situation with Mayorkas where uh, they had to swing it back at the last second, where they were praising George Santos. You know, I can't believe we're still talking about this guy. They, they absolutely screwed it up, where the Israeli funding bill failed due to a bipartisan vote to stop it from getting the, the two-thirds majority needed to actually, you know, fund the budget. So Johnson's having these problems, and it's going to be interesting to see what takes place when he can no longer say the bill is dead in the Senate, when it passes the Senate, and how are they going to react? And I just hope that the Senate has the fortitude to ram the passage of the bill over to the House and force the House to at least react to it and not just be able to try to table it, which is, is what they were threatening this whole time. Ukraine, and, and I know we only have a couple of moments left. I'm here in Ukraine. I've been meeting with my commanders. I've been speaking uh, with different command level uh, officers, and I've been speaking with people at the front. Morale is still high. The folks are frustrated. They don't understand the process. We're not supposed to have processes where 20 people are holding up the entire government because we're not a parliamentary system. That said, the Ukrainians are ready to continue fighting because they understand what's at stake. The Europeans understand what's at stake on an individual level and as the EU. The United States, I love our country more than any other time in my life because I've seen the greatness of our country over the last two years while I've been serving here in Ukraine, I believe that in the end, the good is going to defeat the evil and common sense is going to win out over hyperbole and a diatribes from a very small percentage of, of our elected officials in Washington. Yeah, I, I'm going to hang on so tightly to your optimism about this. I am very excited that there's potentially going to be a, a separate bill on the funding of Ukraine as well as Israel and the Indo-Pacific because it's going to expose, you know, a lot of people were able to hide behind the border issue, but now it's going to expose the people who were just using that and they really are going along with Trump's larger opposition to the bill, which is he does not want funding to go to Ukraine. He owes a lot of favors to Vladimir Putin, who helped uh, him get across the finish line in 2016. And he would very much like to hand Ukraine to Vladimir Putin and Russia. That Because there are people in the insane, you know, all in for Putin and MAGA wing of the GOP who really do understand the stakes, that is what makes them so dangerous because they like the way that looks. They like the way those stakes look when you put Ukraine in the Putin column. And uh, that is just extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, we can't we can't begin to underestimate how incredibly 
dangerous that is for the entire planet. So I hope these people have to take an up and down vote, be forced to acknowledge whether or not they're going to sit in the pocket of someone like Donald Trump and be willing to do his bidding and, uh, you know, f- continue to, to stonewall this funding that Ukraine desperately needs to be able to defend their country, their democracy, but also be this bulwark against Putin's larger plans for the rest of Europe. You summed it up perfectly, and I just want to reiterate what you pointed out. Not everyone there on Capitol Hill are ass clowns. Not everyone there is just trying to, you know, throw out a soundbite. There are a handful of people who are so dangerous because they understand what's happening and they are attempting to facilitate it. And this is where light needs to be shined. This is who needs to be exposed. In reality, we like to, you know, laugh about it. It's not the Marjorie Taylor Greens. It's the Rand Pauls and it's the Mike Lees who are J.D. Vance's. J.D. Vance, who are so aware of what the stakes are and they are continuing to push it and they have their reasons. You named some of them. They want to put, if you put Ukraine in the Putin column, you weaken NATO. If you weaken NATO, you have even more of a reason to potentially pull out of NATO. You know, all the things that they've telegraphed and, and, and spoken of for, for years if not a decade plus with the Tea Party in some of these cases, you know, Mike Lee and, and, uh, came on in 2010. When, and, and so when we look at this, I think we say this every episode, and it's, it's still not a cliche. When they tell us who they are, we better listen. If not, we lose the democracy in a way that we don't get back, as you have warned in every episode. Yeah, there's there's an extraordinarily good um, piece in the New York Times today that I encourage everybody to read about Poland attempting to work its way back to a functioning democracy. And even though they voted in pro-democracy in their last election, there was so much damage done over the years that they were not in power, that this democracy was being broken down, that we know the way governments function. There is a lot that stays in place from administration to administration, including the judiciary, which, you know, Poland is now trying to figure out how how do you, if you don't have a normal functioning judiciary, how do you become a normal functioning democracy again? And we see the threats to it here all the time in the United States. We cannot afford Ford, another four years of a degradation of democracy here, and we sure as hell can't afford to let our friends in Ukraine suffer a terrible fate at the hands of Putin. So Sarah, as always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for giving us that glimmer of of hope on Ukraine funding. We'll, we'll know soon. And uh, thank you for allowing me as a terrorist to be platformed. On Resolute Square's uh, brand. <laughs> and, you know, all I can do is smile and wonder what can I pull next to take it to the next. Maybe they can uh, sentence me to death in uh, absentia or something like that. Like, where can we go next against these idiots? But we can't stop. We can laugh and smile, but we can't stop talking about how dangerous they are and pointing the way towards democracy here on Resolute Square and across the United States and, and the globe 
where people understand what's at stake. So thank you as always for being here with me, Lisa. Absolutely. And we will see and talk to all of you again next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at The Zero Line.